Encountering God is serious business, as we read from that passage. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, help me to speak your words and help your church to hear your words. Thank you that you have given us your words in the Bible. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I can tell from just looking out at the crowd today that many of you have been in a relationship or uh, you've continued that relationship. Maybe you're married, dating, uh, engaged, all sorts of different stages. And when you're in a relationship, there comes kind of an awkward conversation. Maybe some of you have heard of DTR, define the relationship. There comes a point where, you know, you've been seeing each other, you like each other, you think you like each other, and so you have to have a conversation and say, okay, so what are we? What are we going to uh, label this? Are we going uh, to officially be boyfriend and girlfriend? And if, and if one party is on a different page than the other party, that conversation doesn't usually go so well. Now, thankfully, uh, when I did this with Monica, it seemed to go okay. Now, Monica and I... Uh, literally DTR'd 30 seconds after I officially asked her how. I was like, you want to go out with me? And she was like, sure, let's, okay, so what are we? And I was like, okay. <laughs> now, there's a reason for this. Uh, she said I could share this. There's a, reason, uh, there's a reason for this because six weeks before that, I had asked her out and then unasked her out. Uh, and I kind of spent six weeks kind of taking a survey of our relationship, and uh, she wanted to get our relationship like in writing, in Facebook, <laughs> Facebook official writing. So we defined the relationship. Now, in order to have a healthy long-term relationship, in order to make a relationship work, you have to define it, don't you? You have to, to make a commitment. Now, we're coming to a place in the book of Exodus where God defines his relationship with his people. God defines his relationship with the Israelites that he has taken out of Egypt. See, he saved them. He saved them from bondage and from slavery, slavery from servitude in Egypt. But there's more to it than that. There's more to the story. He's brought them out into the wilderness. And now what's the relationship going to be between God and his people? Because the Israelites were in Egypt for about 400 years, they would have picked up the the local customs of the people, uh, perhaps the local religious practices, so they would have been relating to God as if he were one of the other Egyptian gods, one of the other idols. That's why God sends the plagues to say, no, uh, I'm I'm stronger, I'm bigger, I I am the true God, these idols are not. But now, as we kind of read the second half of the book of Exodus, God has to lay down how to interact with him, how to, uh, how to be in relationship with the God of the Old Testament, with the God of the Israelites. So I want to kind of start, as we look at Exodus 19, uh, by, by, by going through some stages. But first, we're just going to look at the situation as God begins to define this relationship with his people. See, the Israelites have come to Mount Sinai to meet God. They've come here. Now, they've been on quite a journey, haven't they? Uh, I'm going to put up a map so you can look on the screen and you can see the kind of the journey that the Israelites have have gone on. They've, They've come from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea at the Gulf of Suez. They've come to the springs of Mara. What does Mara mean? It means bitterness. They, they tasted of the springs, and uh, we learned that their hearts were also really bitter. But God provided fresh water for them. And then after Mara, they came 
to, uh, to an oasis where they, they rested, filled up, and then they went to the desert of Sin, uh, which is kind of this whole region on the map. And uh, finally, that, in the desert of Sin, that's where they got manna, that's where they got quail. And then finally, uh, they come to Rephidim and then Mount Sinai, which you see back here. So in Exodus 19, we're finally at Horeb, we're at Mount Sinai. So they've gone on this, this long journey, and, and finally they're here. And it's about, I think it's roughly seven weeks, I think, from the time they left Egypt to the time they got here. Now, this mountain is a, 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 an interesting place because this is not the first time that we have encountered Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb in the book of Exodus. And this is really the first time I'm going to point it out. But if you read the book of Exodus, we've encountered it before. See, Moses was a, uh, a shepherd in the land of Midian for his father-in-law. And at some point, he brought his sheep from Midian to Mount Sinai just as they were grazing and at Mount Sinai at Horeb, that is where he encountered the burning bush. That's where Moses encountered Yahweh, the, the God I am, for the very first time. And that's where God told Moses, hey, I want you to lead my people, the Israelites, out of bondage in Egypt. Go to Egypt and rescue them. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, God says this to Moses. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So something pretty special has taken place in verses 1 through 2 of Exodus chapter 19. It says that they, they have arrived at this mountain. God has been good to his promise. God made a promise, and God delivered. God is good. And it's at this mountain, at Horeb, that God wants to form a new relationship with the Israelites. He wants to form a covenant relationship. Now, covenant is not a word we hear very often in our context in today's society, so I brought uh, a definition. A covenant is defined as a promise where God is involved. A promise where God is involved. And God has made a an unconditional covenant with the uh, Israelites, uh, no, with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. So we went through Genesis in the summer, and, and in Genesis, we meet this man named Abraham, who is the forefather of the Israelites, of the Hebrew people. And God made a covenant, God made a promise with him that, hey, your descendants, through your descendants, I'm going to create a great people, and I'm going to bring them to a land, but most importantly, my presence is going to be with them, and I'm going to use these people to be a light to the nations, to bless all the nations. And so that's finally what we see beginning to happen uh, in, in Sinai with the Exodus people. But God doesn't make an unconditional covenant, kind of an unconditional promise relationship with the Israelites. He makes a conditional covenant. So he makes a different kind of covenant. We actually have the verse already on the screen. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So can you, can you see the terms in the scripture passage? If you obey me, then this is what will happen. See, God is saying, you have to, 
to be in relationship with me a certain way. I am defining the terms of our relationship. And in this moment, God sounds a little demanding, doesn't he? He almost sounds like a boyfriend or girlfriend that says, you have to treat me a certain way. Like you have to buy me a rose every single month in order for us to be in relationship. And it, it builds on itself. The second month we're dating, two roses, three roses. This goes on and on and on. But actually, it's not like this at all. Because in all relationships, in all relationships that become formalized, we, we have terms, don't we? When you get married, you, you make vows, you give each other rings. You say, we're going to be committed to each other in a certain way. So this is normal. We act this way. And, and B, Israel is not God's peer. They are not on the same ground. God is holy. God is God. The Israelites are people, and they are dirty, and they are broken, and they are sinful. So it's okay for God to give expectations, terms in this agreement. And see, before God ever says, you need to act a certain way, he shows them his love. God goes out of his way to deliver them out of bondage, to bring them out of slavery. God is compassionate. God is kind. He is, he is good to them before he asks them to act good. We see this in Exodus 19, verse 4. He says, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God is saying, I was like an eagle. I carried you. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of bondage. I've given you freedom, but now I'm calling you to live a certain way. I love the picture of an eagle. Uh, it could be like a, a vulture, but it's, it's, a, it's a bird of prey, right? What does a bird of prey do? It feeds on smaller mammals, rodents, or, or other animals, now, you know that one of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. And at the end of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the Kings, there's this, this, this giant battle between the good armies of Gondor and the bad armies of Mordor. And the, the armies of Mordor, all these arcs, they, uh, orcs, they are surrounding the armies of Gondor, and they are about to destroy them. Uh, and the, 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 we call them the ring wraiths. They're riding in on like these black dragons. They're, they're coming in. And you see the shot of, of Gandalf, and he's, he, he notices this, 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 uh, this moth that is a symbol for a coming hope. And there's another shot where it turns to Pippin, and Pippin's one of the hobbits, and he's really cute, but he's like decked out in armor. And he looks up into the sky, and he shouts, he says, the eagles are coming. The eagles are coming, and all these eagles, they come in, and they chase away the ring rafts, and they deliver the, the, the people, they, they save them in that moment. And further salvation has to come along. But you get the picture that God is like an eagle that swoops in to rescue his people, to deliver his people from bondage, from slavery, from utter destruction. But notice, God is interested in whole life deliverance. God is interested in whole life change. He isn't interested in just changing the circumstances of the people. He's interested in changing their hearts. Because he doesn't want them to function in the same way as when they were in Egypt. He doesn't want them to, to be free physically, but then in bondage spiritually. 
So God is uh, working towards a deliverance of them, to deliver them from their sins, to bring them out of that old life and into a new life. And what does God want to do with his people? Verse 5 says he's going to make them into his treasured possession. Do you ever have like a treasure box growing up where you kind of put all your knickknacks that you didn't want to share with anyone? (laughs) I had one of those. A treasured possession is referring not to just like my treasured possession, which isn't like a tubaware, but like a king's treasured possession, something that's sacred, that's, 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 uh, that's royal, that's perhaps made of precious metals, gold or silver and jewels. This is what God is interested in transforming his people into. It's beautiful. And then God says, I'm going to make you not only into this treasured possession, but you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Well, that's an interesting idea. That means their whole nation is going to be a priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest prays for his people and then tells his, the people about God. And so for the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests means that they are to pray for the other nations. They are to be praying for Egypt. They are to be praying for Midian. And then they are to tell these other nations about God, about the goodness of God. And last week we learned that you can do that by just telling stories about God's faithfulness. And that's what God is calling the Israelites to do. See, God's relationship with the Israelites is going to be a conduit for all the nations to come to know him. So people that are not Jewish, so people that are not Israelites can believe in Jesus. Now maybe you're here today and you're wondering, you're not wondering like, why am I at this mountain at Sinai, but you're wondering, why am I at church? What is God trying to teach me here today? And I think from this first section, we can see four different takeaways. First, God wants to meet you. If you don't know God, maybe you came today, uh, you know, on the the arm of his spouse or a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or just a friend. Perhaps God is interested in encountering you today, to getting to know you, to introduce himself to you. Today could be the day that you encounter the living God, the God who made everything. Number two, maybe, maybe God wants to not just meet you, but he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to define his relationship with you. If you you haven't gone through that conversation with God, today can be the day where you can define the relationship with God. God, where are we? Who are you? Come and meet me. Come and know me. Maybe it's time to trust God with your life. Number three, maybe, maybe God wants to change you. God is interested in changing the Israelites, isn't he? He wants to to change them and to mold them. He's not interested in leaving them as they were in Egypt. He wants to make them into this whole new beautiful creation. Are you willing to let God change you? Maybe God wants to save you. And then finally, number four, maybe God wants to use you. Maybe you know God, you have a relationship with him, but your faith is kind of lethargic. Your faith is... It's not really, there's not much to it. Maybe God is saying, come and follow me. Come and let me use you to be a priest to all the nations. At Cornerstone, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We want to get everyone involved in the ministry of God. Maybe God wants to use you today to be involved, perhaps in this ministry, but also just to share the message of Jesus with your neighbor or with a friend. The Israelites, they have come to Sinai They have come to meet God, 
And they have come to enter into relationship with him. And I want to talk briefly about what it means to be in relationship with God. See, the people meet God and enter into relationship with him by hearing his words and by trusting him, by obeying him. See, God is going to come down and he is going to speak the Ten Commandments directly to the people. This is pretty amazing because God has been speaking to Moses up until this point. He's been speaking to specific figures, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And suddenly, God says, I'm going to speak to all these people. Exodus 19, verse 9 says this, The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And Moses told the Lord what the people had said. What's the most important piece of a good relationship? It's communication, right? God wants to communicate with his people. And notice in this verse, at the very end, it says, Moses told the Lord what the people had to say. God is interested in a two-way relationship, not only with sharing his words to us, which he's going to do in the Ten Commandments, but God is so interested in hearing our words. <laughs> That's amazing. The God of the universe would care about what I have to say. He wants to hear back from us about how we think the relationship is going. And notice, as we go through, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments next week. I encourage you to come back. We're going to, we're going to look at those. But the whole Bible, all of scriptures are really the words of God. And it's interesting because God doesn't say to the Israelites, he is going to come down the mountain and the people are going to see him, but he doesn't say, you need to see me to believe. God just says, you need to hear me. You need to hear my words. My words are enough. And that's true for us today. We don't have the, the, the joy and the privilege and the, the frightening reality of seeing God on a mountain, do we? But we can see God through the Bible. We can see God through his words, through the scriptures. That's why we want to read his words as a church. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to grow as a believer, just encounter God's words. Talk to God through prayer and hear God, listen to God by reading his scriptures. This is why like personal devotional time every week is important so that you can encounter the living God on your own. And then you come to church and you get to encounter the living God some more through the words that we read here and that I get to preach to you and through the songs that we sing. We want to encounter God. We want to encounter him, and we do that through his words. And as we put his words into practice in our lives, we discover that his words are good. They're trustworthy. They're true. When we live God's way, we find that that things are better, <laughs> that life is better, simply through obedience, listening, and following. So God wants to enter into this wonderful relationship with the Israelites, and he wants to use the Israelites to be like this, this shining light to the whole world. God has big plans for them, but there is a problem. There is a conflict. There is a difficulty that, that we have to look at and they have to overcome. And they're going to find that they can't. See, dirty people can't encounter a holy God. Dirty people can't approach a holy God. Dirty, sinful people, people that disobey God, can't have a relationship with God. 
I love this picture. I want you to imagine for a moment, or you can kind of look at the photo. Imagine for a moment that your child, or perhaps like your niece or nephew, or a, a younger kid that you know is outside playing, and it's raining, and they're playing in the mud. And they are very successfully baking mud pies. They are very successfully constructing mud castles. Uh, they are taking mud showers. It is just a muddy day. And then, you, you, like, they're just covered in mud. And you see them turn and look towards the house. And you think, oh, no, here they come. <laughs> Child just races towards the house. What would you do? You would run to the front door and you would stop them. And you'd be like, oh, hold on, hold on, slow down. We have to deal with the problem of your mud before you can come into this nice, clean house that I just washed and, and vacuumed and dusted. So what would you do with your child? Would you, would you hose them off to, to clean them off in the mud? Would you make them kind of get changed in the garage if you have one? Would you banish them to the outdoors forever <laughs> because they're covered in mud and we can't let them in? <laughs> the Israelites have a similar problem. Exodus chapter 9 verse 10 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today, and tomorrow have them wash their clothes. I love this because it's it's so interesting. The Israelites have been walking in the wilderness uh, for weeks in the desert. They're dirty. They're filthy. They don't have that much water. And God says, you need to take a bath before you encounter me. And I think there's a reason for this because the, the desert dirt symbolizes something much greater. It symbolizes heart dirt. It symbolizes sin. See, they are covered in sin. They have been born in sin. They have grown up in sin. They, they, they're just naturally, they're just sin producers. It just oozes out of their pores. They are covered in this mud. And they need God to deal with their sin. They need God to deal with their heart problems. See, they're not fit to come into God's presence. And it's interesting because God is intent on coming down and being in their presence. He says, I'm going to come down, so they better get ready. They better wash up. They better clean up. But even then, you have to set these like stipulations. Don't, don't step on the mountain because well, you'll have to be stoned to death. And once you get consecrated, once you get ready, then you can come to my mountain. But only once the horn has blown the shofar, this this Old Testament instrument. See, I want to be in relationship with you even though, even though I know you're dirty. Even though I know you're sinful, I care about you. The book of Exodus is not only about God's deliverance, but it's about God kind of making these people his own. It's about defining the relationship, and then it's about molding them. We call this word sanctification, making them holy, consecrating them. See, they... They can get saved physically, but they need to be saved spiritually, and then they, their lives need to be changed, to be aligned more like the character of God, to live in a way that honors him. But there's, there's a problem. You can't be in relationship with a holy God if you're dirty. And the, the way, in order to be in relationship with a holy God, they have to be saved, which requires a relationship with the holy God. So do you see the problem? There's a catch-22, I can't be in relationship because I'm sinful, but in order to be clean, I need to be in relationship with God. So how do we solve this problem? Because a simple bath in the desert won't cut it. 
What do you do after you take a bath in the wilderness and then you step and you go for a little walk? You just get covered in dirt again. The problem is temporary. The solution is temporary. They need a long-term solution. God says, you can't come up on my mountain. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the, uh, uh, God, said, God invites them up on the mountain once they've washed. And Moses, Moses knows that the, the real problem is in their hearts. Moses says to the Lord, the people cannot come up on Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. So no, no matter how much we clean, out our, clean up our outward actions, our outward lives, those things we do, and it's true of the Israelites, it doesn't deal with the inward heart attitude. But God is intent on meeting his people. So the solution is is God coming down and being near his people, but then also kind of hiding himself. I wanted to teach you a word today. It's called theophany. When God appears visibly to a human or humans, we're about to witness a theophany in the Old Testament, and we see this happen all the time in the Old Testament, and it's usually, uh, God is usually uh, hiding himself in like a pillar of cloud or a, a pillar of fire. You, know, you might remember that God led the Israelites as a, as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day as they came out of Egypt. If you go back even further to Genesis 15, it says uh, God encountered Moses as a smoking fire pot. He's, he's coming down visibly, but then he's kind of hiding his presence. And we see this here in Exodus chapter 19. See, God, God is holy, but he wants to be in relationship with us, but he's not willing to lower his standards to be in relationship with us. God has immense standards. And yet, he, and yet the problem's still there, isn't it? We still have that sin in our heart. If you could take a camera, and if you could look inside your spiritual heart, what would you see? As a goodbye gift, Anthony gave me the privilege of watching a four-minute video feed inspection of his home sewage runoff system, of their kind of septic system. It was a surreal four-minute long video, and it was, it was gross. I'm sorry, Pat. I'm sorry, Pat. I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration. So it was this video of going down into these pipes and you just see like gross, dark, murky water and it keeps going and it keeps running and it keeps going deeper and deeper. I think it was like a three minute just going and going and going. And finally you get to like this cavern underneath their yard where there's sewage and just gross stuff and it's disgusting. <laughs> Too much? I'm sorry. As people, how do we judge each other? We don't judge each other from the garbage that's underneath the surface, do we? We look at each other's lawns. We look at each other's kind of flower bed, how, how we present ourselves on social media, on Facebook, or maybe our literal houses, our literal yards, the way that we dress, the way that we interact. How are you doing? Well, I'm great. That's how we interact with people. We see the surface level, but God sees the heart. God sees the septic system that is my heart. My heart is full of garbage, full of sewage, full of sin. That's how I was born. I am not a good person. I am born into sin and I am, I am raised in sin. See, to be a Christian 
To be a Christian, you don't have to be a good person. (laughs) You realize that you're not a good person, that you're a bad person, and that you need God to come and to flush the system, to deal with what's on the inside, what's below the surface. We all need a Savior. So the solution is we need a mediator to bridge the gap between God and us. Because of sin, the Israelites can't be in relationship with God, but that is the only thing that will save them. So what is a mediator? A mediator is someone who brings two enemies together and makes it possible for them to be friends again. That is what Moses tries to do. He tries to bridge the relationship between God and the Israelites. And what does he end up doing? He ends up running up the mountain hearing from God and then running back down the mountain and talking to the people and then running back up the mountain. If you look at the passage, you can see Moses. Tim Chester pointed this out to me, and I can go through it later with you personally, but Moses goes up and down, up and down, up and down. He goes up and down a total of three times in chapter 19. And while they're at Sinai, he goes up and down the mountain a total of seven times because Moses just can't do it. He goes up, he hears from God, he goes back down, and, and there's still a lack of communication. And he's 80 years old, so this isn't the easiest job for him either. And remember, God gave them a conditional covenant, right? He gave them a conditional relationship. And you know the story of the golden calf? We're going to get there where the Israelites make this calf and they worship. They, they, they already break the relationship. They already break the terms. But the real problem is in their heart. That's what's causing them to break their terms. So they need a mediator. Who's your mediator between you and God? I think we all need to ask ourselves that because we each have one, right? My mediator is just me, right? Usually. I go, you know, I'm feeling guilty. My my conscience convicts me of something. What do I do? I go to God and I I say, God, you know, I'm not that bad, Lord, uh, you know, I, I, I sinned when I got angry. Uh, I sinned and I, and I did that thing, but I'm going to do better today. I'm going you know, to spend extra time in prayer. I'm going to read an extra chapter of the Bible. Or I'm going to do like, I'm going to pick up this, this, this trash as I'm going for this walk and I'm going to recycle. We come up with all these ways that we can justify ourselves before God, that we can justify our own existence. Or if I'm doing really bad, maybe I'll go to a friend and I'll ask them to be a mediator for for God. I'll tell them, oh, like, here's how I messed up. But I'm not that bad, right? Oh, no, you're fine. (laughs) Everyone does that. It's because we're all broken. It's because we're all sinful. Because we all need a better mediator. We all need someone who's better than us to represent us. See, Moses tried and failed, but Jesus, Jesus tries and he succeeds. That's what the whole New Testament is about, a new and better mediator than Moses. Did you know that Jesus actually climbs a mountain in Matthew chapter 17? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. These are his disciples, John the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. See, when Jesus' face lights up, he's showing, he's demonstrating that he is the same God that that appeared in thunder and lightning and a cloud back at Sinai. 
And who else is who else is there on the mountain just to remind people that Jesus is a mediator? Moses shows up on top of this mountain. Something significant is taking place. Jesus is the new mediator. He's the one who can go to God for us. And look how the passage continues in verses four through five. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What is happening here? God is wrapping Jesus in that same Old Testament cloud, right? That kind of same cloud that accompanies these theophanies, these these visible manifestations of God. Jesus is a visible manifestation of God. Wow. And what does God say about Jesus? He says, listen to him. Doesn't that remind you? When we hear those words, we usually think, oh, Peter was such a, such a, a, a foolish man. You know, he's, he's doing these things. I'm not sure that God was rebuking Peter. I think he was making a connection with the Old Testament where God said, listen to Moses. Listen to his words. Listen to my words. Because when Jesus speaks, he speaks the very words of God. And notice how he finishes the passage. This is my son whom I love. It's through Jesus that we will be able to experience this same love. At the end of this passage, Jesus, uh, Peter is shaking, he's afraid, and Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid. At the mountain, the Israelites are afraid. They're trembling, they're scared. Because they can't go into the presence of a holy God. But Jesus says to Peter, you don't need to be afraid. See, it's through Jesus that we can approach God unafraid. As a church, as Christians, we don't operate under this old conditional covenant. That's Sinai. We operate under a new covenant. Tonight, we we took the Lord's Supper. And at the Lord's Supper and the end of Luke, Jesus says, this is a new covenant. I'm giving you a new covenant, a new way to relate with my Father. And it's through my body and it's through my blood. So that you can encounter the presence of God without fear. In the book of Hebrews, we got two more passages. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the old covenant, Mount Sinai, and it compares it with our new relationship that we can have with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21 says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. So this is referring to Mount Sinai. You haven't come to Sinai. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You and I don't approach God like the Israelites approached God at Sinai. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 through 24 say this. But you have come to Mount Zion. Jesus ascended after his death and resurrection. He is seated with the heavenly father. That means he's in heaven and he's gonna come again, but he's gonna bring Zion with him. He's gonna bring this new heavenly reality with him. 
But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, this is beautiful. We can come into God's presence unafraid. You and I can come in joyfully. We can be happy. We don't have to tremble in our boots because our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. We can approach God in his holiness because Jesus approached us in our dirt. We can approach God in his holiness because Jesus approached us in our dirt. We don't have to bathe in water to access God's presence. We do it symbolically, but we bathe in Christ. We bathe in his purity, his holiness. Is that how you approach God? Do you approach God like you're as holy as Jesus? Because you can. If you know Jesus and if you have a saving relationship with him, Jesus comes into our lives and he deals with the garbage. He deals with those sins that we don't want the public to know about. He deals with those sins that we don't want posted on Facebook. He will will take them and he will uproot them. He He will take up the whole septic system and put it in a brand new one without clogs, without leaks, without cracks. That's spotless, that is clean. And this septic system has Jesus stamped all over it because it's his system put into our lives. We can approach God in his holiness because Jesus has approached us in our dirt. When you're overwhelmed by your sin and by your dirt, I invite you to remember this story. Remember how God took the Israelites out of bondage. He carried them out of bondage in Egypt. It says he carried them on eagles' wings. So he carried them, he carried them as an eagle. And he calls them to obey him, to trust him, to transform their lives, to to honor him with their actions. See, God has cleaned us up on the inside through Jesus Christ, but he's still calling us to not play in the mud anymore, to get out of the dirt. We can't do this perfectly, but in Christ we can. The temptation when we sin and when we get caught in our dirt is to run away from Jesus. It's to not come to church. It's to not pray. It's to not read the Bible. But that's the exact opposite of what we should do. We come to Christ in our brokenness so that he can heal us. Because he already came a long time ago to us. One day Jesus is going to come back. And it's interesting, the book of Revelation talks about another trumpet sounding. Just like at Sinai. Another trumpet will blast. There will be thunder. There will be lightning. The whole world will shake just like at Sinai. And on that day, if you want to, you can look up into the sky and say, the eagle is coming. The eagle is coming. We can approach God in his holiness because Jesus approached us in our dirt. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that we can approach you through Christ. I pray for this offering, Father. Would we use it faithfully as a church? And would we walk away from this evening having encountered you? It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.